The year was 1941, and a man named George Demestrel, someone most, if not all of us, have never heard of, went out for a walk with his dog. It was an enjoyable walk, but when he got back inside, he noticed something that was very annoying. He had burrs from some plants all over his coat, and these little round burrs were all stuck in his dog's fur. And so he slowly but surely pulled them out of the dog's fur and pulled them off of his coat, sort of grumbling as he was doing this. But George Demestral was in Switzerland as an engineer. His mind started processing, what is going on with these little round burrs? Why are they so hard to get off? And so he put one of them under his microscope, and he was fascinated by this because what he saw was these burrs were covered in these little sticks that had hooks on the end of them so that when they came into contact with your dog's fur or your coat, they would stick and they would be really difficult to get off. Because he was an engineer, he didn't do what I would do, which is just be annoyed by them. He started thinking. Wait, if, if these burrs can have this, and, and if these burrs can stick so well, and if all they need is this hook and something for the hook to go into, and his brain just started working and working and working, and he began working on a product, and it took several years, a lot of trial, a lot of error, a lot of things that didn't work before he found the thing that did work, and the thing that did work is the product that we know as Velcro. This is fantastic stuff, isn't it? It all started because a man got annoyed because of some burrs stuck to his dog's fur and his coat. And he started working, and he came up with it, and he mastered something called the hook and loop system. That is why Velcro works. Let's look at Velcro under a microscope, of course, so we can see this. One side of the strip of Velcro has the hook. The other side of the strip of Velcro has the loop. So that when you take these two separate strips and you push them together, the hook grabs the loops, thousands and thousands of them at a time, and that is what makes Velcro stick. That is what makes it so strong. The people who make this stuff, I don't know if I believe it or not, but the people who make this stuff say that a piece this size is strong enough to hold my body weight up against the wall. Now, I thought about testing this out this morning. <laughs> that would have been memorable, wouldn't it? But no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take their word for it. That Velcro is really, really strong. Now, we as followers of Jesus, you may not have ever thought of it this way, but we as followers of Jesus are all like a strip of Velcro. Have you ever considered yourself like a strip of Velcro? We are. In at least two ways, if not more. Every follower of Jesus is like a strip of Velcro. The first way that a follower of Jesus is like a strip of Velcro is we are and should be united. Just like this strip of Velcro is united. No strip of Velcro is all alone. It is made up of two strips, one with the hook and one with the loops. If they are separate, they are worthless. 
Has anyone ever come up to you and said, could I have just one side of that strip of Velcro, please? No, because it's worthless. Unless these strips are put together and united, they are pointless. And followers of Jesus are like a strip of Velcro in that they should be united. Let's read about this in the book of Philippians. Of course, Paul didn't know anything about Velcro. This was written just a few years before Velcro was created. But the concepts that Paul was trying to get across to that early church and the concepts that God is trying to get across to us are very much real and very much like Velcro, beginning with the importance of unity. We as followers of Jesus should be united. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we are going to begin in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. Followers of Jesus should be united. They should be connected. They should be doing life together, on mission together. Christianity is not a solo sport. And Paul understood this clearly. The Apostle Paul, as we've been discussing over the last many weeks, is writing this letter from prison. He is scared, nervous, he's not supposed to be there, he doesn't know how this is going to end. Paul knows maybe he gets released from prison, but he also knows maybe he'll be in prison for a very, very long time, and this imprisonment may even result in his death. He doesn't know how this is going to end. And so he sends this letter to this church at Philippi, to these early Christians. He is showering them with his love. He really cares about these people. He knows that God is at work in this congregation, and he wants to thank them for everything that they are doing. He really wants to encourage them. But he lets them know that their work is not finished. There is more to do. Some things they need to continue doing. And one of those is to be unified. He says this in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, complete my joy. That is, I'm already joyful because of what you're doing, but complete my joy. Keep it going. Don't end this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And let's pause there. He gives them several ways that they can show that they are unified. And the first one is by having the same priorities. By having the same priorities. By having the same focus of each and every one of their lives. Being united in this way. Paul calls it being of the same mind, or later on in that verse, he emphasizes it again, that they are to be of one mind, and what he's getting at here is they are to have the same priorities. A church filled with people who are not unified, who are not living life with the same priorities, is a church that is a mess. It is a church that is going to break down. It is a church that is going to be filled with fighting. It is a church that is not going to accomplish anything really for the Lord 
because they don't have one purpose, one goal, one set of priorities. This is why Paul, I think, twice brings up the idea of having the same mind or, or being of one mind. Be unified in your priorities. Here at Village Bible Church, we talk about discovering, developing, and deploying disciples of Jesus Christ. Discovering, developing, and deploying disciples of Jesus Christ. If we had to say, well, what is our priority at Village Bible Church? I think this is what we would say. That each and every one of us should be working together to discover disciples of Jesus. That is, we're sharing our faith with others. We're talking to them about what Jesus is doing in our lives and in our church and celebrating what God is doing in our lives. We're sharing their need for Jesus. They need him just like we do. Discovering disciples of Jesus as we invite them into relationship with him and then developing them just like we are being developed. This priority is the growth of every follower of Jesus. It's not simply you acknowledge that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and you trust in Christ for your salvation, and then you just kind of rest and hang out until you get to heaven. Every single one of us is to be developing, we're to be growing, we're to spend time in God's Word and in prayer and with other Christians and reflecting on who God is and what He wants us to do. Every single one of us is to be growing in our walk with Jesus and helping other people to grow in their walk with Jesus as well. We discover, we develop, but then we also deploy. You see, our priority is not just to lead people to faith in Christ and then to grow, grow, grow together for the rest of our lives. We understand that we have work to do. Every single one of us has work to do. God wants each and every one of us to be a part of His work in the world around us. All of us are deployed. Some of us are going to be deployed to other parts of the world. And we have many people from Village Bible Church who've done that. Some of us are going to be deployed to other areas here in the United States or even Chicagoland. Some will be deployed to other campuses of Village Bible Church, existing campuses, or, or Lord willing and directing someday to get other campuses started, and people will be deployed to do that. Some of us are simply deployed in our church family, in our family at home, to help people discover Jesus and develop in their life with Jesus, and then to also be deployed themselves. There are churches that are not unified at all. Whether their mission is to discover, develop, and deploy, or, or they state their priorities in a different way, they are not unified. They argue and fight over all sorts of things. The color of the carpet, what the seats should be like, what music should be played, who should be on the stage, what the children's ministries should look like, who should be pastors, who shouldn't. I mean, they, they argue over all these things. Tension is created over all these things. They are not unified around the priority of being a part of God's work. As I've been here over these six months, uh, I've been amazed and encouraged to see behind the scenes the pastor's the elders, the other staff members and leaders, they are united. A lot of you don't see things behind the scenes. I now have for six months, I can tell you. 
They are united in their priority that everything is about discovering, developing, and deploying disciples of Jesus Christ. No tension, no infighting, no backbiting. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here when, we says, when he says, we're to all be of the same mind. To be of one mind. We must have the same priorities as a church. Otherwise, the whole thing falls apart and we don't get any of what God wants done. And praise Him that He has created a unified congregation here. Paul doesn't just stop, though, with the same priorities. He also says that these believers should have the same love. They should have the same love. This means followers of Jesus should love each other equally. Followers of Jesus should love each other equally. This means we do not love someone more if they are more like us. This means we don't love someone more if they make a certain amount of money or work in a certain trade, or live in a certain neighborhood. We don't love someone more if they like the music that we like, or the movies that we like. Paul is encouraging us to love everyone equally. It doesn't mean we're going to love everyone the same. Obviously, our family and our friends are loved differently than strangers. But as we look around the room, as we see the people sitting to the left and the right of us, we should be able to say, we love each of these people equally because we are united in Jesus Christ. All of us are sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ. All of us are on this life mission together, having these same priorities. Every single one of us have the same gifts that Jesus offers. And so the way we treat each other, the way we look at each other, it should all be based on equality, every single one of us. There should be no, I really like that person, I really hope they're in my small group, this one not so much. And no, I'm not specifically pointing at any of you over here, just, just so you know, so you know, it's just given an example. Instead, we should say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm closer to certain people than others. Yes, absolutely. But we love each other no matter what, equally, because we are united in Jesus Christ. We have the same priorities. We have the, the same love. That is, we love each other equally. Paul also says, though, that we should be in full accord. What he's getting at here is the fact that followers of Jesus should be like family. Uh, the language that he uses here is uh, being souls that are united, that, that are intermingled, that we are connected in a way that no one can break it. That's what Paul means by being of in full accord. That we are connected like family members where no matter what happens in your family, even if there's dysfunction, even if you're not talking together and haven't in a long time, you're still family. There's still this connection. And Paul is saying, when he says in full accord, he's talking about the fact that every single one of us are unified from this point forward. You can't even say like we do in wedding vows, till death do us part. 
Because we're going to be in heaven together, unified. Connected forever. Connected at the soul level as a family of Christ followers living together. This is why we can pray for people on the other side of the world. Because we are family connected together forever. This is why we can truly love each other here at Village Bible Church and care for each other because we, like family, are united in Christ forever and ever and ever. This is hard work. This is not something that comes easily. Later on, we will talk about how to make this happen in our lives. Every single one of us is a sinner who needs a Savior, and so we push back against this stuff. Unity is not something that is easy. Unity is not something that we're just going to do on our own. It is something that is built up intentionally over a long period of time as we follow Jesus. I don't want anyone to leave here saying, my goal is to just be more united and I'm going to work hard at it. Because we'll just mess that up. And again, we'll talk later on in the message of how we get there. But followers of Jesus are to be united. Another way that followers of Jesus are like Velcro is they are to be others-focused. Followers of Jesus are not just to be about themselves. They are to be others-focused. Okay, now the purpose of this Velcro is not just to exist in and of itself. If this is in your drawer at home and it sits there for five years, ten years, fifteen years, and let's face it, we all have things that have sat in our drawers that long. If it sits there, it is useless. It is not doing what it was designed to do. Instead, it was built for other purposes, hanging pictures, keeping shoes tied, keeping wires behind your TV wrapped together. Velcro has purposes. If it's just by itself, again, just stuck in that drawer, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It is worthless. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to be others-focused. Life is not just about us. Oh, how easy it is to make life about us. You want to talk about coming naturally. It is easy for us to make life about us. Paul, though, says, I want you to be united. And I also want you to turn your focus to other people in the world around you and if you'll do that, then you'll fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. Here is how Paul says this in verse 3. He begins with, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Pause there. Uh, the first way that we are others-focused is by seeing others as more important than us. Now, Paul doesn't say that you have to consider yourself unimportant. Paul is not talking about a humility here in which we put ourselves down and you know, we're, we're worms and, and everyone else is wonderful. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's not devaluing any of us. But what he's saying is as we think about other people, as we think about their needs, as we think about what they need in the world around us, we are to be humble and we're to think highly of them 
even more highly than we do of ourselves. Again, not putting ourselves down, but raising other people up. We want to genuinely care about others, their needs, their wants, their desires. We're to work hard to have harmony with the people around us. That is unifying, but that also takes being focused on others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote a book many years ago, and he, it's called Life Together. And in this book, he gave several, of, several examples of how we can be others-focused, uh, of how Christians can genuinely be concerned about other people. Again, not putting themselves down, but, but lifting others up. Here's some things that Bonhoeffer came up with. He says, Christians should hold their tongues, refusing to speak uncharitably, about a Christian brother or a Christian sister. Hold your tongue. Don't speak uncharitably about another Christian. When you are humble and not conceited, when you are boosting others, when you're concerned about them and keeping them as important in your life, you will not say a word that tears them down. This means no gossip. This means no slander, saying things that are untrue about someone. This means no mockery, this mean teasing that is designed to break people down. If we consider others as more important than ourselves, then we will constantly want to build them up, and our tongues can be used to tear people down brutally. This is such an easy one because, as I've mentioned, these things come so naturally to us. Uh, Students who who are in class or in hallways, uh, you know how easy it is to tease, to make fun of another student for any number of things, what they're wearing, what their hair looks like, uh, maybe they haven't showered in a few days. And so it's easy to tease these other students. And Bonhoeffer, taking a cue from Paul, says, Do not mock. Do not tear down. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Build them up. The root of all of that kind of talk, the gossip where you just go, Did did you see what she was wearing? Did, did, Did you hear what he was doing? That sort of gossip. The slanderous lies about people, the the mockery where we're just tearing them apart, all of that is ultimately designed for what? To puff ourselves up, to make us feel better than others, to make us superior. Oh, well, at least I'm not that person. And Bonhoeffer and Paul say, no, 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 if you're going to be others-focused, if you're going to see others as more important than yourselves, if we're going to do what God is calling us to do here in the book of Philippians, instead we need to flip that and we need to only speak words that are kind and affirming and build people up. At the first sign of gossip, when we hear it in a conversation, we need to move to another room or shut that talk down. When we hear the mockery, instead of going, oh, this sounds fun, I think I'd enjoy being a part of this, we need to shut it down or get out of the room and not be a part of it. Maybe we can end it by saying something kind about that person. 
Now, you know, I, I, I know what you're getting at, but man, do you know that they are really helpful in this area, or they're really kind, or, or it can just be a flat out, we probably shouldn't be talking about them in this way. When others are our priorities, when we want to build them up instead of tearing them down, we will watch our words. Another thing that Bonhoeffer says is we, as Christians, when we're others-focused, when others are more important than us, we should refuse to consider their time, that's our time and calling, so valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. If we are others-focused, if we are considering other people as more important than ourselves, then we will not always refuse to answer the cell phone when we see the caller ID. And every one of us, I don't care who you are, we have been in this situation. We're either at dinner, we're either watching a show that we don't want to interrupt, maybe we're reading a book, maybe we're getting ready for a nap, and the phone vibrates, and we look at the caller ID, and we say, ah, that's going to be a long conversation. Now, if none of you has ever had that experience, it's probably because other people are having the experience when you call. <laughs> I'm a big talker. I, I, I talk a lot. I'm always afraid of what people are thinking when they see that it's me on the caller ID. Oh, this is not going to be quick. Here, Cisco's calling. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't say, we're at dinner with the family, we're not answering the phone, or we're enjoying time with our loved ones, we're not answering the phone. I'm not saying that we always have to be picking this thing up. But what is our attitude? What is our heart toward other people? Are we saying, my time is more valuable. I want to spend it the way I want to spend it. I don't want to be interrupted by anything. My calendar is so tight, I just don't have any time in it. Is that always our attitude, or instead are we willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm eating dinner now, but I'll call that person back later. I'll hear out what they have to say. Uh, I can't meet with you for lunch today because I'm busy, but you know, even next week, next Tuesday, we'll get something on the calendar and we'll make this a priority. That's what we do when we, as followers of Jesus, make others our priority. We are focused on them, and we see them as more important than ourselves. Paul goes on, though, not only are we to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, again, being puffed up, all of these things is about being puffed up and thinking that we're more important than other people. Paul says, don't do that. Instead, count others more significant than yourselves. And then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, this is verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Followers of Jesus should consider others' needs, not just their own. They should consider others' needs, not just their own. I love that Paul doesn't say... Don't ever be concerned with your needs, just be concerned with the needs of other people. Now, we shouldn't live as though that's what this verse says. That's not what he says. He says, don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have needs, we have things that we have to get done around the house and in our lives. 
We have things that we want to do with our family and our friends and our classmates. Paul doesn't say, put all of that aside. Don't do anything. Everything is about the people around you. Paul is not saying, you never get to pick the movie. You never get to pick the restaurant. You have no say-so over the color of the paint in the living room. Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that we're supposed to go completely into the background and act as though we don't exist. Instead, he's saying, yes, yes, look to your needs, but also look to the needs of others. Be others-focused. Don't be self-centered. Think about the people around you. All of this, I don't know about you, for me, all of this is really, really tough because my natural bent is to be focused on myself. From the moment I wake up in the morning until the time I go to bed at night, my tendency is to think about myself. What do I want? What is my desire? How do I want to spend the day? Now, I have a wife, I have three kids. Those of you who have been in that situation realize very quickly, it is no longer about you. I think I heard a couple of amens. It is not about you anymore. But that's a good thing, because the fact is it was never really about you. It was never really about me. It was always, as a follower of Jesus, always about others. How can I serve them? How can I care for them? How can I show them Christ's love? You know, and we meet together as small groups. And if you're not in a small group, I hope you get connected to a small group. They are great. We just started a new small group. and the, Oh, man, the people are just fantastic. We love praying and studying God's word and, and encouraging one another. Get in a small group if you're not in a small group yet. But come to the small group thinking about how this time, this hour and a half or so, two hours, can be about other people. It's not that you won't be able to have people pray for you. It's not that you won't be able to share what's going on in your life. No, no, it's not that you're supposed to be totally silent, but come to the group not thinking, man, this is where I get to unload everything that's going on. Because it's not only about you, it's also about the others. We all get to share, we all get to encourage, we all get to grow together as we focus not just on ourselves, but also on others. Christians are like Velcro in that they are united, right? If Velcro is not united, it is pointless. Christians are like Velcro in that they are others-focused. If Velcro is not being put to other purposes, if it's just sitting in your drawer, it is worthless. We are united and we are focused on others if we are going to be like Velcro. Now, the question that we have, though, is how do we get this? We know we already saw the, the microscopic image of Velcro. We know how Velcro works. Hooks and loops, hooks and loops, hundreds and hundreds and even thousands and thousands of them. But how do Christians get unity and how do followers of Jesus begin to shift so that they are focused on others? Here's why it's important that we ask this question and address it. Because if we don't, if we just leave here this morning and we're thinking, I need to be unified with other Christians, I need to think about other people more, what we will do is begin pushing forward, trying to work harder to do it in our own power. It'll be like a New Year's resolution. 
January 1st, I'm going to the gym. I'm not going to eat sweets. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And if you're like me, I don't know. I mean, I'll say first week of February, but for me, it's usually second week of January. That resolution is gone. We do not get unity and a focus on others by just trying harder, by leaving here and getting in the car and going, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this. That's not how we get it. Paul knows that's not how we get it. And so you may have noticed that we began this morning with verse 2 and not verse 1. But now we turn to verse 1 to find out how. How do we get unity? How do we begin to be focused on others? How does this work? Because it's not just striving. It's not just trying harder. It's not just accountability. It's, it's not just tomorrow I'm going to do better. At the end of the day, oh, I failed in that. Tomorrow I'm going to work harder. That's not the way we get it. The way we get it, and we see it in Paul here, the way we get it is by reflecting on what Jesus gives us. By intentionally thinking about all we have in Jesus Christ, we are transformed. Heart, soul, mind, desires, emotions, we are transformed, and then unity and being focused on others flows from us. When we realize everything that we have in Jesus, we are changed. We live differently. We can't help but be different people. Paul begins, it's really this, this series of verses is really an if-then statement. Paul reminds the Philippians of what they have in Jesus Christ, and it's a reminder for each of us too. He says in verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy, be unified, and be others-focused. He's reminding them that there's a power to what he's saying. There's a rhythm to what he's saying. I can imagine him sort of building here as he's speaking this out loud before it is written down. If you have encouragement in Christ, if you have any comfort from love, if you have any participation in the Spirit, if you have any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy, be unified, and be others-focused. In light of everything that you have from Jesus Christ, you should then be unified together and focused on the people around you. How does it happen? Again, not just trying harder. We do that and we just get tired and frustrated. We're unified and we're focused on others when we spend time thinking about all of these things that we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, sisters and brothers, the more we think about these things, the more we feel the weight of his love and his acceptance and his power and his goodness. And it changes us. And we want to serve others. And, and, and we don't want to fight anymore. We, we don't want the tension. And we, we, we don't always have to win. But it doesn't happen by working harder. It happens by realizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. The first thing he says is any encouragement in Christ. Jesus gives us encouragement. Day in and day out, 
once we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we have encouragement from the fact that he is there with us each and every day. There's a variety of ways that we get encouraged by Christ, but one of them is the fact that he is there with us each and every day. This is a one-on-one relationship that we are in with Jesus. Nothing breaks it off anymore. No one or nothing keeps us from Jesus anymore unless we choose to avoid him. But the encouragement comes from the fact that at any moment I can go to the Lord in prayer. Any moment I can lean on Jesus. Any moment I can feel the love that he has for me. And we'll talk about love in just a moment. At any time, day or night, I can be confident and encouraged by the fact that in Jesus Christ... I have the forgiveness of my sins. They are washed clean forever. I may dwell on them, but God sees me as a dearly loved son. He sees me as forgiven, and it's all because of Jesus. And it's the same for each and every one of you. That's encouraging. And it only comes about because of what Christ has done for us. And the only way that it really changes our thoughts and our actions in the everyday, I mean, we're changed forevermore, but the only way it impacts us day in and day out is if we spend time reflecting on what we have in Christ. That is encouraging. He has done great things for each and every one of us. And he's with us each and every day. We are never alone. We have comfort from Christ's love. Jesus gives us comfort from his love. Piggybacking on what Christ has done for us and how it is encouraging is realizing the depths of his love for each and every one of us. We're going to talk about this more next week, but we can't lose sight of this today and every day. Jesus Christ loved us enough to die for us. He came to earth, became human, lived a sinless life, and was then nailed to a cross. He didn't deserve it at all. We deserved it. But because of his love for us, he did it. He wants to spend eternity with you. And he loves you enough to die in your place, in my place, so that we can be with him forever. Do you see what I mean by the importance of reflecting on this? Spending time thinking about who Christ is and what he's done and what we have because of what he has done for us. This changes everything. This moves us from someone who always have to have our way to someone who says, I want to live in community. I want to live in unity with others. And I... I don't want to fight anymore. What, what do you need? How can I serve you? Jesus Christ has served me amazingly. Now, how can I serve you? How can I show his love to you? Feeling his love, thinking about his love, getting to a point where we believe it's true because there's times I can't believe God loves me that much. Now, that changes me so I can be unified, so I can be others-focused. He talks about... 
participating in the Holy Spirit, participation in the Spirit. This is really a connection through the Holy Spirit. We are, as followers of Jesus, connected to Him through the Holy Spirit. This is how this works with our God that is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus has the Holy Spirit inside of us, living and active, guiding us, comforting us. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, because of our connection to Him, we are abiding in Jesus, connected to Jesus each and every day, every moment of every day. Again, we're never alone. That doesn't get broken off. It's not that we earn it. Okay, today you've been good enough. I think today I'll let you be connected to Jesus. And then tomorrow, oh man, I know what you did last night. Today that connection is messed. No, no, no. We're always connected to Christ. We can walk away when we feel shame or like we're not worthy. But Jesus is always there. We're always connected to him through the Holy Spirit. And because of what we have in Christ, we have access to God the Father. We can pray and get comfort from him every single day whenever we want. This is beautiful. Keep in mind, you don't have to earn this. You can't. I can't. Once you have this, you can't stumble and let it fall away. We are united with Christ forever and ever. So because of all this, again, we're reflecting on, on the encouragement that we have in Christ, the comfort from his love, this participation in the Holy Spirit, this connection with the Holy Spirit that allows us to not only be connected to God, but also to be connected to each other. This is where unity comes from, where we all realize we are connected in Christ. But he also gives us affection and sympathy. This comes from his love, this affection. I mean, God cares about each and every one of us. Let me say that again because some of us inevitably don't believe it. God cares about each and every one of us. We reflect on it. We spend time thinking about it. Maybe we start to believe it, and it changes us. The sympathy that we have from Christ is what we're specifically going to talk about next week, that in His coming to earth and His dying, He connects with us in a new way. He understands us in a new way. He humbles himself in a new way. And because of all of that, he can sympathize with us no matter what we're dealing with. The book of Hebrews says he's been tempted in every way, only without sin. So whatever you're tempted to do, whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever problem you find yourself having, Jesus encourages us by saying, yeah, I, I had that one too. Yep, that one too. That one too. I got through this. Let me help you through it. We are never alone when we are in Christ. If we spend time reflecting on what we have in Jesus, this encouragement, this comfort, this connection with the Holy Spirit, the affection and the sympathy that Paul talks about here, then we can be unified. Then we can be others-focused. It's not by working harder. It's not just by trying. It's not by coming up with a new method. It's by thinking about everything that we have in our Lord Jesus that we say, now I can be truly focused on all of you, my sisters and brothers. Now I can stop just wanting what I want. 
now I can look to your best interest. But it only happens if we are willing to stop for a moment and think about what we have in Christ, who He is, what He's done for us. It's only when we let that sink in that we can truly be unified with others and truly focused on them. Let's pray together, sisters and brothers. Our Father in heaven, this is challenging because right off the bat, we are tempted to be focused on ourselves. We are tempted to want what we want. That just comes naturally, and so this is difficult. It is also difficult because naturally we don't want to rely on you and what we have in you. We want to do this on our own. And, and so there will be a temptation when we leave here to just work harder. When we're at a small group or we're at a meeting or we're leading in some ministry here at Village Bible Church, we will be tempted to just work harder for unity or, or to work harder to put others' needs ahead of our own. We need you, God. We need you to help us see who you are, what you've done, what we have in you, because without that, we'll just get on a treadmill trying to do it all on our own, and we'll get frustrated and we'll fail. Help us with this, Lord. Help us to live as you designed us to live. And it's in that precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.